All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Bible Guys. Uh, my name is Rick Kleiner, and I'm joined here, at, as always, with Jerry Hullinger. Jerry, how are you doing this morning? Hey, Rick. I'm doing good. All right. Well, we're going to do something a little different to our list for our listeners here tonight or today. Um, guys, we feel like we haven't really challenged ourselves in a while. Um, so we've decided what we're going to do is three questions, one app uh, is what we're, we're going for. What other podcast will answer three questions uh, for you? We're trying to get this. Um, basically, we've got like a lot of emails and there's no way we're going to get them all knocked out in season two. And we don't want to people hold on until season three. So we've got three questions here. Now, uh, a couple of them might be a little shorter. Uh, there's one that might be a, a big focus, but that's what we're going to do uh, right now. So first of all, let me ask, let me start off with a question. This was really cool. Jerry, I like this one. We got this. It's good to see this kind of question. What we're getting here is showing that the, the Bible guys is branching out. People are, are listening and they really feel like they can ask us questions. Uh, we're turning in more. We're, this kind of question is turning us more into um, not quite a, Maybe we can call it the Dr. Phil World Podcast. It's, it's a good question. So, so here it is. Um, it says, um, good morning, guys. Here's a question. Um, my wife is due to give birth to our first son next Sunday. That's awesome. And I've really been struggling to fully understand and prepare for my role as a godly parent and father. I was hoping that since both of you all have experience with fatherhood, that maybe you could give help me out with just a few words of wisdom. All right. Great, great question. Um, I, I like it. As a dad, I really uh, appreciate that. Thank you for that question. So um, I'm going to I'm gonna punt this one over for a second to the our elder statesman, Father um, Jerry, Father, Grandfather Jerry. Jerry, what are your grandkids? Are you are you grandpa? I do. I do have grandkids. Are you grandpa? What are you? Was that the, what they call you? I think they just call me Jerry. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. It's yeah, it's something like that. I, they don't really, they're not really coherent. So okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what they're calling me, but all right. This, this is really, this is really out of my comfort zone. Um, yeah, I don't feel competent here at all. All right. Well, you, you were sharing that we were talking about um, as we got up before the air, we got this kind of question. Um, but I think both of us would say we would agree that um, none of us feel competent when you become a dad. Um, right. So to, to our to our listener, I remember um, holding my son for the first time. My son now being fifteen, and mm. when I held him for the first time, I remember thinking this phrase right away. I remember thinking, "God, thank you so much. I'm really going to screw this up." <laughs> I mean, that was literally my prayer, um, and it was more like, "God, help me not to screw it up too bad." Um, and well, you know, I, that, that's, yeah. that's interesting because, you know, among other things I could say, while it is, a, you know, massive responsibilities you've indicated, I think one of the things to learn early on is just relax. Mm -hmm. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes. Yeah. And, and sometimes we, we get so uptight, I think it gets even worse. So yeah, it is a huge responsibility. Um, but yeah, we can, we can relax and enjoy them. And, um, so yeah, I think there are two things just in what you mentioned. Yeah. And, uh, that's comforting too, because there's a lot of books on this stuff. I mean, everybody was throwing books our way with kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think he's a listener, um, uh, but James Dobson probably would not be proud of my parenting style. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm going to be asked to go to focus on the family and do any kind of podcasting there. 
Um, but like you said, there's a, there's something about just relaxing. Um, yeah, these, here's what comforts me knowing that God loves my kids more than I love my kids. Mm -hmm. And that sounds, you know, yeah, of course you know that, but there's something's going to happen when you hold that kid for the first time that like, man, mm -hmm. there's gonna be a love that comes out of your heart. You never knew was even there. It like opens up a place like, wow, I didn't know that was there. Um, and, but there's something even just more comforting knowing that God loves them more than you love them. And mm -hmm. no matter what happens, God's in, the same God sovereign in control of your life is in control of theirs. That, so, that's, that's huge. And yeah. to really to come to that realization, he, he is their God as much as he is my God. Yeah. And, he has sovereignly tailored them and then put them with me. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming we're trying to live a godly life and, and train them according to scripture. Mm -hmm. But, you know, apart from that, God has put both of us together. He's the God of each of us. He, he has a plan for each of us. And that's going to come together, you know, despite the mistakes that we're going to make. And, and that's why I say relax. Cause we're going to make mistakes mm -hmm. and God has that covered and, and, um, you know, they'll be able to get past any of that stuff. So, yeah. And this is a question that maybe our listener, you could probably just keep emailing us as things happen. Like, you know, when the, when they hit the terrible twos, when they get to the teenage years, um, maybe we'll still be around here. Maybe our logo will look a little different by that time uh, for the Bible guys, because there's different advice we could give at different times. But one thing I could, if I would advise you to do another thing, I mean, constantly just be, when you're praying with your kids and even at a young age, pray with your kids. Um, but especially when they get older and they start understanding what you're saying, saying things that are meaningful in, in the path, in the prayer, something like, God, thank you for letting me be daddy thank you for letting me be these guys, dad, that, that is a, you're going to do more for that kid's healthy. And I'm gonna say biblical self-esteem than anything, knowing that, that God loves them. So he, he gave them, he gave them you. And, but then also you hold this as a, you are grateful every day that God let you have these kids. And again, it's the path, you know, there's a biblical proverb that says like a, like a, like an, arrow in the hand of a skill warrior are the, are the children um, of the godly. And, you know, may God bless you with a quiver full. It's the idea that I heard someone say once that our kids are like gifts. We get to launch into the future mm -hmm. and um, see them that way. See them as I get to get, this is a gift I get to give to the future of this, of this world. A lot of people say, man, what, what is it? It's hard to raise a kid in this culture. You get to raise a child who's going to grow to be an adult, who's going to you know, be a gift to the culture who can, you know, if, if you've got a problem with the way the world is, maybe, maybe, Hey, this, this, this guy could help, you know, do whatever, you know, you never know what God's going to do with your child. So you're, that's the gift you get to get launched into the future. And it's something that that's the legacy you're going to leave. Nobody's going to read your papers. Nobody's going to listen to your podcast. They're going to, your gift that you give to the culture and the world is your children. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for that question, um, listener. Uh, and we look forward and let us know how it goes. Man, send us a picture when the kid's born. We want to see the, see the guy. We want to see, give us some updates. We want to know uh, if you're looking for a name, Rick, Jerry, like I think going it that way, that's not, you can shorten it to RJ. That's nice. That writes itself. All right. Um, another question we got from a listener. Um, here it is. This is a, I think a really good question. Um, so here it is. So first, 
Um, the question that this listener had for us has to do with um, what we call the, I guess you say the casting of lots. Here's the question. Um, hey, Baba guys, is it wrong for a believer to play the lottery? Um, do the verses that mention casting lots, like in the Old Testament, does, do they show it's okay to play the lottery or slots in moderation or once in a while? And what does the apostles cast lots mean? And thank you, and God bless you and this ministry. All right, so we got a lottery question. Usually using, looks like they're using Old Testament passage about casting lots. Um, is it okay for a Christian to, to do this? Let me, let me start with the casting of lots part, because I don't think that's at all, at all related to the lottery or gambling or those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, the casting of lots was actually surprisingly, I guess you would say, common in the Old Testament. Uh, I believe there are upwards to 20 or so references to the casting of lots, and quite often for very important matters. Uh, Basically, the casting of lots was a method to determine what God's will was. And so, as I said, upward to some 20 times in the Old Testament, you'll have that. And then in the book of Acts, in the first chapter, the apostles cast lots for the replacement apostle for Judas. So, again, it, it, casting lots is not really uncommon, but it's really not related to gambling or the lottery or that kind of thing. That was just an ordained method for determining what God's will was. Yeah. And so definitely I would throw out the idea that you can use scripture to defend this. And I think that's a something that uh, if we're not careful, we can try to find a proof text for it. Um, you know, I, yeah, it's, we, we, it's a false equivalent to say the casting of lots, specifically in the Old Testament, like you said, in, in, in the religious realm, you had the, sometimes if a tough decision was had to be, had to be made, the, the priest would consult um, the, um, the, the Urim and the Thummim, or as one time I was in the middle of a meeting one time and a young man goes, uh, I think the priest will throw out the Uma Thurman. I'm like, no, I think that's <laughs> yeah, an actress. Um, but yeah, but anyway, um, but the, the Urim and the Thummim and they would, and they would, that would be, you know, the text says, because God was in the casting of the lot. Yeah. You don't need to go to, um, play the lottery and do your scratch offs while quoting that verse. Cause it's just totally yeah. out of context. But what and, about that? What about that idea yeah, well, of casting uh, or playing the lottery? Well, let me say one more thing about the casting of lots. Right. Um, and you you mentioned it, which I really liked. In Proverbs, I think it's in 16, it says the casting of lots is in the hand of the Lord. I mean, he's, he's guiding the process because it was to determine his will. Mm -hmm. And I would also throw out that casting of lots in the Bible was never done in an area where God had already revealed himself. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's noteworthy. There, there is no instance of the casting of lots after acts one, mm -hmm. which seems to me is very significant because, you know, following that time you had the, um, you know, you have the written canon, you have the giving of the Holy spirit. So really there is going to be no need for it after that time. And um, so I think that, gives a pretty rounded out picture of what the casting of lots was. But mm -hmm. then, as you said, then we go to this whole lottery gambling thing. Yeah. I think if I'm going to answer this question and, and you and I didn't talk about this before, so let's, well, well, this could be another one of our disagreements, but I'm going to go with 
you know, if somebody were coming to me and say, hey, is it cool for a Christian to, um, to play the lottery? I'm just going to ask the question, well, let's talk about what that is. And I would say it, feel, it really fits more in the realm of stewardship um, with what God's given us. But then again, you know, the idea of, am I going to spend my money on a risk, try to gain more? Um, but then again, it opens up another um, box there of, okay, how do I spend my money? Um, I think it'd be very, I'd be very hard pressed to, to agree with a person who says, Hey, I'm against the lottery, but I'm flippant with my income. Um, no, no. If you're going to be a good steward, both of those have to be in play. Um, so I think being good, I think it has to fall into the category of God has given us certain blessings, certain gifts of which we're to steward. And you know, for us to be flippant with those things in any way, um, it just, it, it makes me uneasy. So I tend to say it's best to stay away. Yeah, I, I kind of look at this on two levels. For example, part of the question is, is it wrong for a believer to play the lottery? At that level, I say no. I don't think it's sinful if I go out and buy a lottery ticket right. today. Um, but I, I think as you're beginning to indicate, mm-hmm. there's really a deeper societal problem with this. I mean, uh, the Bible promotes a work ethic. Uh, it condemns greed. Uh, let's be realistic, you're probably not going to win anyway. And really, and I'm not a social scientist, so maybe I could be corrected here, but it seems to me that the lottery is really geared toward exploiting the poor. And I think that, you know, our society would be better without it because of a lot of those factors. But is it absolutely wrong for a believer to do it? I don't think I could say it is. No. Um, but I still don't think it's a good, it's a good thing for our society. Yeah, I would agree that it's again, it's like, we're, we're not saying you have now committed a sin, but we are, like you said, we're saying there is that, is it, it's like what Paul says in Corinthians, all things maybe are lawful, but man, is this really good for me? Is this expedient? I, and I, I always, for myself, I would, always, I would just go with no with that. Now, Jerry, well, that, and you know, if I could, one of the yeah. things that I think that we need to be careful with is the methodology we use to give the answer. So a lot of times people will say something like, oh, gambling is addictive. Well, yeah, for some people, yeah. but there are a string of things to which people can be addicted. Mm-hmm. So we can't begin to say, oh, because somebody might be addicted to this or could be addicted to something, you therefore have to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's bad methodology. Mm-hmm. And really it goes for a lot of these things. But again, when you put them all together, as you said, I think it's just a wiser course of action to uh, steer clear of it. Yeah. And this answer really kind of ties into our third question for today. And this question was from a listener. And here's what it says. Uh, it says, hi, guys, I've really enjoyed the content of season two so far. Oh, great. We love that you listen to it. Um, and so he says this, had an interesting discussion with a few friends recently about how wrong can you get core doctrines without being considered not Christian, for lack of a better term. Uh, and they gave the example, if someone uses a um, wrong view of the Trinity accidentally, does ignorance excuse heretical teaching? And they were just curious about our thoughts. So it kind of ties in, you know, of, I think the question can be asked, 
how right do you have to be before you're on the other team? Um, so let's chat that up. And, and he used the, the, our listener here used um, the argument on the Trinity. So we can start there, but this would open up a, a, a couple different avenues for us. Yeah, um, this is an interesting question. And I would kind of preface it by saying when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to being saved, I tend to be quite a minimalist on that. Um, certainly one does not have to be a great theologian to be saved. Um, but, I mean, you have to under, understand some doctrines. Right. But what I mean by a minimalist is to be saved, really the gospel is very simple. And, you know, Jesus holds out eternal life to whoever will believe. Um, and so I think we need to be careful in saying, oh, if you don't have certain doctrines right, you can't be saved. When, in fact, to be saved, you know, there are just some essential truths you need to understand. Yeah, um, and I would agree with that. And so the, so the question, let's, let's get into this one with the idea of, of the Trinity. Um, I made this statement in, in my church history class um, just recently, and uh, we were talking about the different councils um, and how they all issued and all dealt with an issue with understanding what, whether God is or you know, whether Christ and his God, how did the humanity and the deity of Christ go together? Um, and so I made the statement that um, it is completely okay to not understand Trinitarian doctrine because mm -hmm. I don't know many people who do. Um, but I would say where we cross the line into, I would say heresy is when we reject exactly. Trinitarian doctrine. Exactly. So it has to do with more of what, not so much what you're willing to understand, but what are you rejecting? Yeah. Yeah. So, and if you apply that to a minimalist view of the gospel, you know, if I'm fighting against the fact that God calls me a sinner or, you know, I don't have any sensibility that Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin, mm -hmm. like you said very well, if I'm fighting against that kind of stuff and rejecting their truth, then no, I don't think somebody can be saved. But when it comes to the finer contours of theology, you know, we're all learning, we're all growing, we're all being corrected about this. Right. Yeah, and, and, and you to further on what you were saying um, about the idea that these, there is a, you got to get a basic understanding of the gospel, these, these essentials that, that have to be there, um, an elementary understanding of it. Uh, I would also want to add this too. I think sometimes we can really make our personal doctrinal statements on par with inspired scripture. So like what we believe about this topic, if no one else lands their plane where we land, we might be quick to label somebody, hopefully not as far as a heretic, but definitely we kind of divide into camps. Um, I think that's uh, an important thought here as well, because as we study, when you study theology, one of the avenues of theology is historical theology. How has theology developed over time? Uh, what event happened that caused that council to discuss that topic? You know, for example, if you hold to the Nicene Creed, that's because Arius decided, you know, he was going to teach a warped view of, of the Trinity, but in his mind, it made sense. And when you study why Arius thought that is because how he understood the Greek term um, begotten of the father, he understood the, the word monogene as to meaning begotten, which we look now and say it meant one of a kind or unique. And so he went with what he had. He 
his finite mind trying to understand infinite truths led him to a false teaching. And so the church responded with the, with the Nicene Creed. So a lot of his, a lot of theology, it wasn't developed in a vacuum. It was maybe full. I would say the word, it wasn't created, but developed and refined through these, lack of a better term, the, the test of these heretical things. So when we study our, our own theology, we have to ask ourselves our question, why do we have this? Where did it come from? Why do we hold to this? Um, and I think those are important questions to ask, uh, even of ourselves more than anything. Yeah, and a lot of the, a lot of the doctrinal discussions are in-house discussions hmm. among Christians. And, and I'm even of the opinion that Christians can become heretics. I mean, you can, you can be saved through the simplicity of the gospel, and you can be led away then into false teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, because let's face it, most people that are saved, myself included, you're just presented with a few essential facts. Yeah, that's all you know. That's all you've ever heard of. And say just out of good intention, you then just you know, oh wow, I should go to church. Where do I go? And say you start going to a church that has really major problems and you become convinced that that's right, even when a lot of those things are heretical. And I would would point out that a lot of the New Testament epistles are almost written with that in mind, that you have people in these churches, Paul is either afraid they're going to go astray or they already have, and he's correcting this error. So you know, that, that can happen, unfortunately. And that's why our churches need to be concerned with sound teaching mm-hmm. and discipling people so that they're not sucked into aberrant theology. But again, I assert that the gospel is very simple. Eternal life is held out to the one who believes. And, um, you know, then, then we begin our journey of becoming better theologians. Yeah. Um, the former pastor of my church used to tell us all the time that we need to build our walls. You know, you have your views and they can oftentimes differ from others, but try to make them as low as you can so that you can reach over often and shake hands. Now there are some things that are big wall issues, you know, like you mentioned for somebody to say, Jesus is not God and he did not, his, his death was not an atoning sacrifice. That's a big wall. You're not on my team. Mm -hmm. Um, But a difference over, an eschatological stand or an understanding of something that's a small wall. Um, I have my view, but Mm -hmm. I have it so small that when I'm, if I'm faced with an alternative understanding that, that, that makes more biblical sense, I'm happy to step over. Um, But I definitely want to reach over and shake hands because too many times, especially in our church, in our church culture, man, we're quick to label, we're quick to divide and we fight over sometimes unnecessary things and they really, they ruin it. And so we have to be careful about that. You know, I would, I would just throw this out as kind of a test. Maybe one of the classic explanations of what the gospel is, is in Romans one to three. And if you just go through Romans one to three, where Paul lays out the sinfulness of mankind, Mm -hmm. the, the death of Christ, the sufficiency of faith, you know, if somebody's fighting against that, then we have a problem. Mm-hmm. But if we can agree on how Paul lays out salvation 
in, you know, those three chapters, those key truths, then, you know, based on biblical authority, then I would say that God does keep his word and he does declare a person righteous who believes. And, and that, that's what I mean by the essence of what the gospel is. Yeah. Well, to our listeners, thank you for those questions. As always, you can send us more questions by email at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. You could also send these to us uh, on Instagram at BibleGuysPod and also on Twitter at the same handle. Make sure to uh, click and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening stations. Uh, As always, uh, I'm Rick Kleinard for Jerry Honger. We'll see you next time. 